0: House Flipping HQ Podcast, episode 16. Yes, I have a cold, but the show must go on. This is is the
1: House Flipping Flipping HQ HQ Podcast. Podcast.
0: Giving you the strategies, techniques,
2: and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping
1: HQ: Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom.
2: Now let's get flipping with your host Justin Williams.
0: What's going on, everyone? Like I said, yes, I'm sick as a dog. Actually, I'm a little, a lot better than I've been the last few days. So I'm grateful for that. But we don't mess around here at a House of HQ. Nothing gets in our way. We are going to keep this show going. <laughs> Excuse me. Even if you hear a few coughs from me, today you are in for a treat. A lot of you know and hear me talk about my assistant Vanessa, who anyway, I call her my assistant. I think she has like 10 roles, we've, 10 different name descriptions, title descriptions we've given her. But, but basically, she runs my house flipping business. So I'm gonna be interviewing. Actually, I'm not gonna interview her. It's more of a uh, like a co-host type thing we're gonna to do today. <laughs> it's actually funny that I say uh, co-host because as I listen back to these interviews, they're pretty much all like co-hosting. I mean, I jump in and cut people off so much that it may as well be co-hosting instead of just interviewing. I should. Uh, I understand now what my wife is talking about when she says I cut her off all the time. I should probably just. Start Skyping with her and recording the conversation so I can learn how to be a better communicator. So anyway, all right. Once again, I'm rambling. So let's let's get on to our show for today. I present to you the one, the only, Vanessa File. How's it going, Vanessa?
2: Hi. How's it going?
0: Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Vanessa. Since you know we're doing this co-host thing, before we dive into you know your background and stuff like that. I wanted to talk to you a little about uh, my last few days. Okay, now the reason I want to do this is because last week, the day after Christmas, we went well watching with our family with my in-laws, which they're awesome, by the way. It was awesome having them here. And this guy wrote on my Facebook wall because I posted a picture of the well watching trip. Actually, not this guy. His name's Noel Noel or Noel Vega. He's a big follower of, of the show, so I'm sure he'll be hearing this. But he wrote the life of a house LOL. And I thought, you know, does he think, do people think that I just like go on these trips and you know, the sun's in my face and life is honky, everything's perfect. And I was like, do they have this misconception? Do you think they do, Vanessa?
2: Um, Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you know me pretty well. You know, I have, you know, three little kids and a crazy life. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to talk about a couple days of my life. Now, it may not seem incredibly relevant, but I think it kind of is because it's going to help people relate and realize that I'm just a normal person. So as you know, Vanessa, a few days ago, I found out my grandma died. Okay. Now it's, yeah, it's sad. I'm really sad. She's an awesome person, I have tons of memories growing up, going to Idaho, building snowmen with her. And she's an amazing person. But it's one of those situations where she was really sick for a long time. So we know she's happier. We know she's in a better place with my grandpa. So we're, we're actually really happy for her. But in a couple of hours, I'm going to be heading on a plane to Idaho, actually to Salt Lake. Then we're going to go an hour and a half to this place called Tremont. And then tomorrow, we'll finish up the rest of the trip to, you know, Rupert, Hayburn area, or close by Burley, Idaho. So yeah, it's hard with this cold. I have, I'm all congested. So. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm doing here in a little bit. The la- now, the last couple of days, I've been sick as a dog, I've been laid up. And then I, you know, I hear about, I hear my grandma die, then I'm sick. And So yesterday, my family goes to church, and I stay home with my three-year-old, Kacen, because he's really sick as well. And we have this chameleon. And I said, do you know about our chameleon? Have I told you about that? No. Okay, so we have Sammy the chameleon, right? We got him for my son's uh, eighth birthday just a few months ago in September. And Sammy's a lot of crickets. Now, normally, we don't shop on Sundays. Uh, We we keep it kind of a, a special day. I don't shop or work or anything like that. but the lizard's got to eat, right? And he saw a lot of crickets. And we're leaving this morning to go to the airport and the pet store doesn't open early enough. So me and Kason go and, and we get these crickets, right? Now, Vanessa, do you like crickets? <laughs> They're not my
2: favorite. <laughs>
0: my wife hates them too. And sometimes they get out and she <laughs> drives her crazy, right? So we go and get these crickets and these are the most disgusting, huge, black crickets like they looked really scary to me that I've ever seen and the lady's like yeah the place we usually get them from was out so we had to get this special breed from this other company and they're just like monster looking so I'm like gross style, but I have to get them right so I get like 100 crickets in two bags and you know last night we still had my in-laws were here and you know we got We were busy and we forgot to take the crickets out of the plastic bag that they were in, which no big deal. It's a pretty thick bag, right? Not the end of the world. They're crickets. So last night after waking my wife up for the third time from having like a coughing attack, I decide, okay, I'm going to go sleep on the couch. So I go down, I'm going to sleep on the couch and it's loaded with laundry. Yes, our laundry is all over the couch, right? So I can't sleep on the couch. Vanessa, you can, I know this is your first time talking. You can laugh at this stuff. At least humor me, right? Like you're sitting like... I'm like, I want a co-host so someone can laugh with me. I can joke about these things. And you're just like...
2: I'm like totally listening. It's funny.
0: It's all right. If I was just on the phone with you, you'd be laughing. But I think you're a little, little nervous about this interview here. But that's all right. <laughs> we'll get you over it. So there's laundry all over. And I'm like, oh, great. So I, I'm going to go like... As you can see, Vanessa, you can see this bed like in my office. That's where I slept last night. I blew up the bed that our in-laws stayed on in my office. So... But I... Uh, and then I hear this rustling in the background. I'm like, what in the world is that? So I go and turn on the light and Vanessa, the most disgusting thing of my life. There were like 50 black disgusting crickets all over the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> there's three o'clock this morning. I'm sick. And there's, oh my gosh, is that not gross? That's horrible. <laughs> so I spend the next hour uh, cleaning up these crickets and you know, just grabbing them like left and right. Luckily, we have uh, this cat, Julius, that we got a few months ago because of a rodent problem we had. Yes, we had a rodent problem. So once again, the life of a house flipper. And (laughs) um, (laughs) so Julius is helping me like corner these crickets so they can't get away. So it's great. So I spent an hour doing that. Then I spent another hour just working on stuff because I know we have to leave this morning. And then, you know, this interview is at eight o'clock. My wife, I never, I usually wake up really early every morning but I'm out. So it's like 737. And she's like, um, don't you have to get up? So anyway, we're gonna go have this uh, interview or call whatever you want to call it. And we're just gonna go for it, right, because that is the life of a house flipper. Yep. <laughs> <It is. laughs> so anyway, uh, things are good. Things are good. So Vanessa, why don't you start off by giving us a little more of your background? Actually, this is going to be really good for me. Because I think I kind of know some of your background. Um, I know your resume was really yeah. good, right? <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's hear a little more of your background, and we'll talk about how we hired you and we'll just kind of dive in. Once again, be natural. It's all good. We're just you and I having a conversation, yeah. right? No one else is listening. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Vanessa doesn't do a lot of public speaking, right? I mean, you can crack the whip on a contractor, but yeah. bub- you know, this. So the fact well, that you it- know every thousands of people are listening. You know, no big deal, right? No big deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Okay. Well, I um I live in San Diego. I'm originally from like San Diego area for the most part. Um, I have worked for you for the last three years. Um, before I started working with you, I um worked for a real estate assistant for two years. And I had moved out to Temecula and that's kind of what I did while I was out there. And they were an REO agent that specialized in all the bank owned properties when the first flood of bank owned properties happened around 2007, 2008. So they obtained a lot of those bank owned properties actually, and had a very high volume of houses that they um, listed and sold for the banks. And um, I was fortunate enough to work with them because they really taught me a lot about the whole real estate process from an agent aspect. And they pretty much taught me from the beginning till end of what you do as far as escrows, offers, listings, negotiating, um, everything really that you need to know about listing the properties. And the good thing about the bank owned properties is you kind of learn how to um, manage the properties as well. You have to do cash for keys if there's tenants in there. You kind of have to, um, you know, if there's repairs that are needed in order to list the property, um, you have to do all of that in order to get it ready. So you kind of manage the properties in a similar aspect, which kind of helped me get the experience, I think, to start working with you in a sense. Um, so I worked for the, with them for two years. I didn't end up getting my real estate license. Um, I didn't do very much with it. Um, I did explore it a little bit. But at that time, I needed to get um, a different job part time. So, I had looked on Craigslist for something different because the bank owned properties that they kind of faded out a little bit and I needed to find something different. So, I um, looked on Craigslist and I found an ad that you had for a real estate assistant. Really? It's like that. So, it was really interesting because it kind of happened pretty quickly, actually. And so, I replied to your email and I sent you my resume. And you gave me a call, and then we set up an interview to meet.
0: And where did we meet? My fancy where? office.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, I think it was a Starbucks. Yep. Like Starbucks. outside, actually. Yep. <laughs> so,
0: okay. So, let me give a little more from my perspective of what I was looking for. You know, we had gone, I had had assistance in the past, I'd had different partnerships. I was currently transitioning out of a partnership I was. Currently, in who we had an assistant, but since I was transitioning out, I said, Hey, you guys go ahead and it was, you know, it was a friendly transition. I said, You guys go ahead and keep the assistant going. And that's when I, you know, hired you because I've always, I'm always used to working with somebody. So I put out this ad on Craigslist. Now, this is a lesson for everyone who wants to learn how to hire an assistant. I'm not saying you need to do exactly what I did, but this is just giving you an idea of how you can go about it. Simply, I put an ad on Craigslist. Uh, Now, there were a few specific things I did intentionally in this ad number one i did not leave my own email because i didn't want hundreds of people contacting me for you know months to come i created a separate email on gmail which i believe was like i don't know what what email was you don't remember of course it was 3 years ago but it was basically like assistant com. okay so i put the ad on craigslist i wanted to eliminate as many people as I could. I was. It was not by accident that Vanessa happened to have the background and experience that she had. I knew I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted. One of the main things I wanted was somebody who had realtor and MLS experience because I knew one of the main things I was going to have Vanessa do was start making offers for me. As you guys always know, I'm preaching make offers, make offers, make offers. So even though I knew there would be some training as far as The investment numbers go. I wanted to avoid all that extra training of teaching someone how to use the MLS, teaching them how to use the forms online, teaching them how to comp properties. Uh, I wanted to eliminate all of that. So I ended up uh, receiving, I I mentioned this in the ad you have to be an agent, you have to, and I've listed some basic qualifications. And I think I even put the pay on that first ad. Did I?
2: You did. You stated. I almost don't even
0: I kind of do because I know a lot of people have asked me what I did.
2: So, um, but you did, you were actually pretty, very clear uh, about what it was that you were looking for. Um, You did state that it was going to be part-time with potential of going full-time. And then you kind of put the, the starting rate of what it was going to be. And then when we met, we kind of went over the scale of how you wanted, you kind of visioned it going.
0: Okay. So what I did was I intentionally started it at a lower amount, because you know, when you first hire somebody, it really, and Vanessa has seen this since we've been working with people, it takes more work up front to train them than value that they actually add, right? Vanessa, you've seen that. Yes. Um, and people that we've hired, right? It can be a lot of work <laughs> sometimes like, whoa. Um, so I wanted, but at the same time, I wanted Vanessa or whoever I hired to see the potential for opportunity. You know, I didn't want her to think that she was going to get capped out and that there was any limitations. So I, I think actually for month one, what I did was, I don't know if it was month one was like 10 or 11. But I said, after one month, you get a dollar an hour raise. Then after three months, you'll get another dollar an hour raise. After six months, you get another dollar an hour raise. And after an entire year, you get another dollar an hour raise. Right. And oh. then it was with and I said with bonuses, and then all the bonuses kind of fluctuated. Because honestly, I didn't know exactly what you were going to be doing um or how you're going to do it, but it was basically bonuses based off of properties that we purchased, okay? So that's kind of how it started. And also another thing that I did with you was like you said part-time. Now Vanessa, you've trained a couple of assistants or a couple of employees that have worked for us. Is right. it easy to give someone who is brand new with us a full-time work right from the get-go?
2: No. It it really isn't. No. It's it's very time consuming, especially when you're busy too. You kind of have to, you know, it's hard to let to do that at the same time.
0: Exactly. So I was transitioning. I was trying to keep everything going and training takes a lot of work. And so I wanted to be very specific with what I wanted her to do. I wanted it to take a lot of her time and I didn't want to have her start full time for two reasons. Number one was I couldn't spend full time trying to train her. It, it becomes like an additional job trying to train somebody on everything you want them to do. You don't want to get to the point where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of work training them. I can't do this. So I had you come on part time, wasn't it? It was even, what was the beginning? Was it, I think even the first couple of weeks I told you, hey, we're going to get to 20 hours a week, but I think weeks, what, yeah, what did we do?
2: You know, it, it was very minimal in the beginning um for the first couple of weeks it wasn't even like two to three hours and then for the majority part it was you know four hours after that four hours but, a, d-
0: a day though a day two to yeah, three hours at okay. first and then four hours a day and i told you that from the beginning i said hey the first couple two to three weeks you know we're only gonna do two to three hours a day because i knew i couldn't take more time to train you than that so i think that's important right. for people to realize don't start full time with your assistant. You just, you don't need to do that. It's going to save you money and it's going to save you time and headache and as they get trained and then over time, they're going to be able to take on more of those responsibilities. And then also, I didn't, I had you do two things. I had you do the most basic things that are easy to train and then I had you really focus on making offers. Now, so the main thing I focused on training you on, do you remember what it was?
2: It was, actually, I think it was on the MLS finding properties, wasn't
0: it? Yep. It was. And you already knew how to use the MLS, but I trained you on what I was looking for. Now, Vanessa, you've worked with a lot of agents. Should these investors just assume that every agent is going to know exactly how to look for investment properties and how to make offers that will give uh, great returns? No. No. It's actually the opposite, right? I mean, very rarely will an agent actually know. Now, hindsight, you probably look back and think, how did I not understand that, right? right? But people just don't. And I didn't. I remember when I, once I understood how to analyze properties, I remember Doug Van Seuss, and this was after I had already been investing for a while, <laughs> but he taught me more detail on how to analyze properties and find ARV. And, and this light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's the funniest thing. But um, So I spent all my focus training you on those things. But then I also had you do some other basic things. Like what are the most basic things that people can start right away having their assistant do?
2: Um, It's more like turning on utilities, making sure the insurance is started once the property is purchased. Um, Just little things like that. Um, I think escrow, organizing some of the escrows was part of it as well. Making sure all the documents were in place um, or the paperwork was signed if it was needed.
0: Now, Utilities. I would think, oh, utilities, big deal. It's gonna take. How long does it take to turn on utilities?
2: (laughs) Seriously, it's really it's a challenge. Sometimes, I mean, some of the utility companies, you're on hold with them for like 45 minutes just to get through. And then by the time you get through, sometimes they they don't have everything they need, and you have to call them back and refax this paper and send in that paper. And you know, it's actually a a bigger task than it It seems like it would be.
0: It's crazy. So, as a house flipper, as a business owner, you need to look at every single task that you do. And, you know, so some of you who are just barely getting going, hiring an assistant may not be the thing you want to do like right out of the bat. I, this is kind of a little more of an advanced. Um, I don't what do we call these? We, you know, we call them interviews, but or episodes, but this is more of a course, right? We're teaching mini courses here. Yeah. So this is a little more of an advanced course on hiring an assistant for something to keep in mind down the road once you get a few things going. So mm-hmm. write down all the things that you do. And everything that you do several times, and especially the things that are easy, and those are the first things you're going to have your assistant do. So like Vanessa said, turning on utilities, calling to get insurance ordered, um, paperwork. There's all kinds of documents that get filled out, right, Vanessa? Like, what, what are some yeah. of the forms that you're filling out and making sure are done? Uh,
2: well, it's more just like the standard pa- the escrow paperworks and everything, or uh, making sure the offers get signed once you submit them to the agents like that.
0: Disclosures. Oh, you also, so, you know, some, a lot of times we have our agents do stuff, but a lot of the houses you list. So you will get those pictures taken or make sure they get taken by our professional company. Right.
2: Right. So you get, it's like you have the pictures taken, make sure appliances get ordered. Um, make sure the disclosure packages are put together for the agents, Uh, make sure you're staying in contact with the other agents that um, are on the buyer side. So you know, the home inspections are being done, appraisals have been ordered, you kind of create like a checklist of items for each process um, that you go through to make sure everything's being taken care of.
0: Okay, so we talked about you and you doing some of the base, when you hire someone, they do some of the basic items. Let's, Let's kind of transition here. We're already doing that a little bit. But let's transition into what does Vanessa do today? Okay, let's talk about Now, my goal after teaching Vanessa some of the the basic things, my goal originally was, okay, bit by bit, my goal is to replace myself. Not because, so I can go just hang out on the beach all day. Um, I enjoy what I do. I like working. Do I like a break every once in a while? Is it nice to have that option? Yes. But I like to grow. I like growth. That's my main objective here. So my goal is to replace myself so I could continue to grow. Now, after time, what did we start to do with you, Vanessa? What was our goal with you?
2: Well... It, this it kind of just naturally grew into this but you kind of started giving me one more responsibility at a time and I think like for example the next step after kind of what how I started was implementing me more with working with the contractors and kind of um, working more and once the rehab kind of started and Let, that let's kind of
0: like, let's jump back there how was that transition when I said okay Vanessa you know, you're doing the utilities, you're making offers, you're doing all these things. I want you to now take over the rehab projects. I want you to work with these contractors. You're their boss. How did you feel? And how did that go? Let's talk about that. (laughs) It's like, I
2: was like, okay, I got
1: this.
2: (laughs) But see, that's the thing is I have that, I maintain that attitude that I can do anything because I like to grow as well. And I will push myself to keep growing at any point if I have the opportunity to do so. And that's something that comes from me personally in order to make that happen, you know, and you giving me that opportunity as well. And so, I mean, I I was kind of nervous at first because it was something kind of new to me. But...
0: You mean you haven't like managed construction projects before and contractors and built houses and all that?
2: No. Oh, why didn't you tell (laughs) me?
0: Why didn't you tell me? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you had. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So... So how'd that go, though, at first? And and you know what? You brought up a good point, actually. I'm going to, once again, I'm going to cut you off. I love cutting people off. It's my favorite thing to do. So (laughs) um, you bring up a really good point. And and something I didn't mention, when hiring an assistant now, I tell you this all the time, Vanessa, what is the number one thing I look for whenever we're going to maybe hire somebody else? What is the number one thing I'm looking for? Is it that they're super fast typer or really good on the phone or good at public speaking? Uh, What am I looking for?
2: Well, from what I, I think is that um, it's that they're able to have like a problem solving ability and they, I mean, they would have the drive to kind of push themselves to do certain things.
0: And you nailed it with the drive, the drive to push themselves. And also something that drive is a little more people. Okay, I get that. But I'm always saying I look for someone who is able to take what? Criticism. <laughs> yes. criticism. Okay, there we go. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. So, okay. Now, why is it important to look for someone who can take constructive criticism, Vanessa?
2: Because that actually is what pushes people to grow.
0: Do you, have, have I ever given you, you're perfect, right? I mean, have I ever given yeah. you constructive criticism? Never, yeah. right? <laughs> Never.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, that's like, that's the thing is somebody who can take constructive criticism. You, I, I don't take it offensively ever, actually, I actually kind of appreciate it, because it makes, you know, makes me do better.
0: Well, when I'm giving you criticism, what am I doing? I'm basically telling you, hey, Vanessa, this is how I want it done. And since you work for me, if you want to become the best that I have in mind for you, I'm going to tell you and and, okay, so number one, when you look for an employee, you want to find someone who will take constructive criticism very well. And you can ask them point blank in your interview, how do you handle taking feedback? And you can give some examples. If I were to say to you this, what would your response be? And, you know, see, see how they respond. Do, do they seem to get offended, like even in the interview? So that has been so huge for us because I can say, Vanessa, how often do I give you criticism? Would you say, or at the beginning, how often would I give you constructive criticism? I'm not saying criticism in a bad way, but how often would I give you yes. that feedback?
2: Um, it was very often, actually. I like, would almost say once every time or every other time that we spoke in the beginning. Yes. But it's almost a part of the training process in a sense, if you think about it.
0: Yeah, and that's the way you have to look at it. And how often do I give it to you now? Do I still still give it to you sometimes? You do, yes. It's been three years, right? And you are amazing. But I still give you that feedback. And there's two reasons I give you that feedback. Number one, you're so accepting of it. I feel like I can talk to you about anything and you're not going to be like, hurt or offended or anything like that but you just appreciate it and number two i just know that that's what's important for us to both grow together right right and then on my end i have to be willing to give that have you ever had a a boss or known of someone who wasn't willing to give that constructive criticism vanessa no (laughs) oh they all give it you're saying oh no
2: no 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 Um, no, that's actually one thing that I really liked about working with you um, is because you are you were willing to do that, and but you did it in a manner that it was very much more cr- constructive and not just criticism, I guess. And you've really kind of done it in a way to where you kind of stuck me in your thought process, which I think is really what has been able to help me really think along your lines to where I, I've been able to grow the way I've grown um, and do a lot of the things that I've done. And taken over certain tasks because you keep implementing that on a regular basis, if that makes
0: sense. I, know I like that. I, I never even thought of it like that, that I do. Like I try to stick you into my thought process and explain. I want you to understand why things are happening, not just tell right. you to do this because of this. Yeah. Now, but something else interesting that you said, you said you don't feel like I'm ever being critical, but I tell you what, you know, you, you know, of lots, some people that worked for us or some people that worked before you even came aboard. Um. And from your experience, you know, I'm trying to be delicate here, uh, but there's a lot of people who do take it as criticism. Right. Right. And I can say it in the exact same way. And I do I mix words very much? Do I do I beat around the bush very much?
2: No, not at all. (laughs) No,
0: I'm going to say what's on my mind and it might be good, bad, ugly, whatever. But that's the only way I know how to run a business. And I'm not perfect, but the best way I know how to communicate is by saying what is on my mind. And I've been through so much in business that I've realized, hey, you know, it's worth just being open. I'm not going to go, you know, lose all I've earned or everything that I've done just so I'm worried about hurting someone's feelings. And sometimes that happens. You know, it just does sometimes. So anyway, I don't mean to keep harping on this topic, but it is so important in hiring your assistant that you number one, find someone who's willing to take that criticism. And number one, you're willing to give it. And my objective is always to give it from the beginning. So they're used to getting it. Don't all of a sudden, after a week, start giving them criticism. And then and I just kind of can create a a situation, just give it from the beginning. So they know that's what you're going to do. Give them positive feedback too, though, when they deserve it. Did you have a comment? Look like you're going to say something. Oh, no. Okay. So okay, let's kind of got off track there. But let's go back to what does Vanessa do now? Like, what did you grow into? We talked about you start, let's get back to the contractors, actually. So that was kind of a transition before working with the contractors and taking over all the projects. What were you focused on mainly?
2: Before, before I started doing that? Yeah.
0: So we can transition into that and then to where okay, you are today. So
2: at this point, I was you know, looking at properties on the MLS, um, working with agents also and finding properties and doing all the smaller tasks. And then it kind of started developing into managing the project. In the rehab. Now
0: right. you when you started, I was just having you make offers on the MLS, but then we started to get into trustee sales more, right? Um, oh, that's right? And who did I have manage the entire trustee sale process?
2: Well, eventually I grew into that as well.
0: Now, is that an easy process to just let someone manage?
2: No, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, it got to a point where I was, you know, you trained me so well to where I was almost just making the the offer amounts for the trustee sales. And just letting you know what we bought it for in the end. So, and it took a lot of time to grow to that. I mean, not like a long time. I'd say like months, you know, but.
0: So looking back, I mean, from when you started, did you ever think you'd be doing something like that? I mean, you were making the call for <laughs> what we were going to pay for cash on these houses that you or I had never seen, that other people had seen, had driven by. I mean, what did you ever look at that moment? And be Like, wow, it was pretty crazy. I know.
2: <laughs> it's funny you don't think about it. But when I do look back, it is pretty it's pretty amazing actually because i really had no idea. I had no idea that i was going to escalate to the level that i escalated to and it's just really interesting because some of them that's a pretty big it's a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, so we were doing trustee sales and then you know i i didn't did i give you the jobs, the projects? Uh, did i give you that before or after you started doing trustee sales kind of in the middle, right?
2: Yeah, that's, it was like, we kind of started working with the contractors and doing the rehab process. And then you kind of started implementing the, the trustee sales. That's kind of the thing is how, this is kind of how it goes with really everything is um you teach me one thing and you kind of get me started on one area and then you start slowly implementing the next area. And then the next area comes in after I master each kind of like area. But as I'm mastering one section, you kind of start implementing another section And then eventually I'm kind of streamlining like all of these, these
0: things. And then my goal now has been to help you become what I was in that we're always trying to systematize your job, right? I mean, our goal is to always, I mean, what are you doing right now? You know, you're training Jessica to help you do like what things like things that you started doing at the beginning, right? Right. Like, 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 what do you have Jessica doing?
2: So, really, I started her doing exactly what I did in the beginning, the utilities, the insurance, all of those little things, which she still does. Um, I kind of, we bumped it up a little bit to the next phase, I guess, and she's been helping more um, with ordering the appliances, talking more with some of the contractors, just kind of assisting and making sure certain aspects of the rehab process are being taken care of. Um, I got her more involved in uh, managing the escrows and helping with the listings when we list them internally as well. She helps with a lot of the paperwork. I'm still actually in a training process on those certain areas, um, but it's really starting to grow.
0: And she's really taken off. I mean, look, full disclosure here, right? We were, And she knows us too, so no big secret if she hears us. But when we first hired her, we were buying a lot of trustee sales. So we were having her help us bid and Doing utilities and things like that. And it was great. But that transition when we went out of that was a little tough. We're like, uh, we, we, I don't know if this is going to be a fit. But you, mm-hmm. recently we've talked and sounds like she's really stepped it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Good for her. Um, but I'm just point, point proven is you don't know. You have to work with uh, the people that you work with to the best of your ability and keep training them, pushing them. But it was our job to make sure she knew that we needed her to step it up, right? And it was her job right. to step it up. <laughs> Yeah, and,
2: you can say that as much as you want, but it, in the end, it has to really come from the other person, too, as far as actually stepping it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. for sure. For sure. Um, OK, so I know we, we keep going back to this, but let's talk about that transition when you took over all the projects. What were you doing at first? I mean, you at the time you were living in Temecula, like you said, I was in you were in Marietta, right? And yeah. I was in the Marietta area, which is where uh, how you know you got hired. You were kind of local. And then, you know, we we had you actually moved, (laughs) right? Yeah, I did.
2: Actually, I went from Temecula and then I moved to San Diego. And then actually for that year, and then I ended up moving to Rancho Cucamonga after the first year um, of working with you. So then (laughs) in my second year of working with you, I moved to Rancho Cucamonga for a year.
0: And that was mainly so you could manage those projects, right? So when you first, I remember specifically... When you first started managing the projects, how were you treated by the contractors?
2: They didn't, it didn't take very well in the beginning because they were so used to working with you. And I mean, it was, you know, I, it took a little bit of time for them to get used to me, warm up to me, gain that respect level with me as well because, you know, I was kind of, it got to a point where I'm kind of telling them what I need them to do, you know, and they're used to working with you initially. I mean, it was like, I would call, you would say, like, okay, I'm going to start you working with them. And I, I would call the contractor and talk to them about stuff. And instead of actually even calling you back, they would still call you back, even though I was the one who called you. And it's like bridging that gap is kind of what you always say.
0: Yeah. And there were two things we did to help bridge that gap. One of them was things that you did. And one of them was things that I did. And they were both uh, essential. What were some of the things you did and what were some things I did to help bridge that gap and make that happen?
2: Well, I'd say the biggest part of that I think you do that helps me when it comes to bridging that gap is you instead of you actually calling them, you'll tell me to call them. Even though in the beginning you might be telling me what I need to say or what yep. it is that you want me to do, you still had me do it. Yep. In order for them to get used to communicating with me. And even if they called you, you either wouldn't answer or you would tell them that they need to speak to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. then they would.
0: And who was who's paying them? Who pays them?
2: Well, I actually submit their payment. Exactly. But it's, you know.
0: So, that so, helps, too. <laughs> yeah, and they know, like, you're, and who approves their bids.
2: Yeah, and, and then I, I do, I approve the bid, I submit their initial deposit, and then submit the final payment in the end.
0: And so over time, I mean, I could have cut your legs out from under you, you know, when they would call me, I'd be like, okay, let me work with her, she doesn't know what she's doing, no. But I was right. like, no, this is the system, this was the vision that I had, and I was going to make it work. I was like, hey, you know, if you don't want to work, if you don't want to get paid, you know. Eventually, if I would have answered those phone calls, I could have told them a hundred times, call Vanessa. But if I would have answered their phone calls, would they have called you? No. Right. uh, Your actions speak louder than words, right? So they knew if they wanted to get paid, oh, I guess I better call Vanessa. And over time, they really have grown to respect you, huh?
2: Yeah. Like a a lot, actually. (laughs) It feels (laughs) really good to develop that relationship and have them kind of, you know, develop that respect towards you. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, how often do I talk to the contractors now?
2: You don't really at all.
0: Ever. Ever, never, ever. I mean, I saw one of them at the Norris Group dinner we went to because he bought us all tickets, which was incredibly generous of him. That was only the second time I've met him ever (laughs) at all. So it's pretty, pretty hilarious. But yeah, so you run that entire show. Okay, so at what else here? Okay, so okay, I remember a specific time when one of our contractors, uh, didn't he? He had uh, one of his bids. You know, we have the itemized bid. Which let's talk about that a little bit. How do we run our jobs? How do we? How do you know? You know, you don't have a ton of experience in construction background. How do you know that the contractors aren't uh, that they're coming in? Their bids are coming in accurately.
2: Right. Well, you you kind of created that that structure with them um, from the beginning, where everything costs a certain amount no matter what. So like it's a dollar per square foot for interior paint, a dollar per square foot for exterior paint. Um, even when it comes to electrical switchouts, you kind of grouped it by a small house, medium house, or large house. And this is how much it costs for each of those. And there was a lot of items that were like that. Almost everything is like that, except for certain things you can't get away from. And then we even got them to actually pay all their material costs as well and put that in their bid too. So you kind of scaled it in why a way. Did, yeah.
0: Why did we do that? Why did we do that?
2: It actually saves a lot of time on our end and actually kind of helps the organization process for the contractor, really. It's like too many people, too many hands in the pot make things too confusing and it makes it not streamlined as well. And when it comes to projects like this, um, the more that the contractor can be handle and be responsible for, the smoother it's going to go for us and for them. Even doing all the subcontractors and everything, it's like the contractor's responsible to you know, have the granite guy, the guy who does the windows, if they're not going to be doing it themselves as a general contractor. And then they handle all material purchases and everything. And it's like you send out one payment, they manage the whole project, and then you have a final finish date and you send the final payment and you're done. You know, so it really just helps that.
0: And just to clarify, that's for the smaller projects. We have like a a large project, send out more payment. I just want people to be clear if they're doing like a huge project. Um, That's true. But yeah, that streamlining and keeping it simple. How often were we getting calls from a contractor at Home Depot that needed us to pay for something like at random times of the day, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> dinner time or someone wasn't there, or you weren't there, or I wasn't there. It just got to be this big hassle. So a lot of people, new investors will go to Home Depot and try to pick everything out. What do we do?
2: We give them, we developed it. Now, this is just for the, the smaller properties as well, but we have like an, a skew number List sheet where it gives you SKU numbers of all of the basic items, the cabinet color, the granite color. I mean, on the smaller houses, we do a lot of the same things in certain And pretty much all of them. And we change it up a little bit if we need to, depending on the situation. Um, but they do get all the SKU numbers so they can go there and know exactly what materials to buy. So, you know, if you do brush nickel throughout the house, they know all the different shower heads and hardware and everything that they need to purchase for the project.
0: Perfect. So not only are we not going to Home Depot, but we're no longer even taking calls from Home Depot. We're no longer taking care of those materials. We just give them, like you said, a payment up front to help cover some of that payment when they close, when it's done. If it's a larger project payments in the middle, uh, but we keep it very simple. Now, do you walk through these houses with them? Or I mean, how do you come up with the scope of work? How do you determine? I mean, what, what do you do? So we get a house, let's go through the process, right? Now, I, I know we're kind of jumping around a lot, but let's try to just kind of bring this, bring this all together. Let's talk about just what what do you do in general? What's like a day in the life of Vanessa or a week in the life of Vanessa? What are all your responsibilities? How do you go about managing those? Let's maybe go through the life of like a deal or a few deals or something like that. Okay. And just kind of try to bring this all together so everyone can understand what you do. And I want them to understand, don't expect your assistant to do all this up first. I actually, here, I got an email here from someone who, they do have an assistant, says, hi, Justin. Again, thanks for all you share on the, your podcast. Absolutely great information. Two questions for you. In my business, I have one main assistant. I see that your assistant, Vanessa, does a huge portion of the work in your business, which is great. I'd like my assistant to get to that point. When you first hired her, what experience did she have? And what does her salary start at? We already talked about that. If you don't mind me asking, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Secondly, with you, wait, with just you and Vanessa, how are you able to do hundred flips a year? Are they all flips, or wholesales, or other methods? We are running into bottlenecks with construction. Can you share some solid info that can help systematize this side of the business? Regards, Debbie Bracket. So, okay, so we're not just answering Debbie's question, but this is kind of you know for everybody. But once again, to my point, if you don't have an assistant yet, you know, you're not going to get to where Vanessa is right now. Start with where we had her start with the basics like we talked about at the beginning. So let's talk about today, Vanessa. What are all of your responsibilities? How do you go about those? I'm, keep, I'm still rambling. So just cut me off and, okay. and take it. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, it's, I basically managed the, the whole process of the lifetime of the project. One important key factor in organizing all of this is having your spreadsheets. It's a very big part of how we streamline everything to make sure it doesn't get overwhelming because you have different phases of every project. So for example, you have your you know your properties that you have that you're buying. So you have your purchase escrows. Um, once you buy them, you put them in the category of them either being occupied or vacant. Of course, if they're vacant, you start the rehab process. If they're occupied, you make the decision of what you're going to do as far as you know, getting them
0: out. <laughs> Let's jump back there real quick. So do who does who takes care of that process of buying?
2: I, I manage that.
0: How do you manage that?
2: So well, we
0: are you out there making offers? Are you? Um, what are you doing to get those houses?
2: So well, right now we get them from different angles. We have um, agents that we work with already um, in our main areas that he they're submitting offers for us or he is. <laughs> Um, he's also doing some direct marketing for us in his areas that he specializes in as well. We have them coming from wholesalers also.
0: And just for anyone who doesn't know, wholesalers, just another investor that sells us a house and they get a fee. It's all, you know, Keep go to the website and you'll learn all about it. So, okay, keep going.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: So so, so you, get, you get these deals. Do they contact me or do they contact you?
2: They do contact me um, for the most part. I mean, there might be a few wholesalers that have the relationship with you initially. Um, but then you bridge that gap again. And then they end up contacting me directly.
0: Yep. And over time, they realize when they ask me, I always come like ask Vanessa, ask Vanessa, they realize <laughs> they're better off working with you, right? So right. <laughs> So these guys contact you, they have a deal, do they contact you just with like a house that's like listed on the MLS and say, Hey, I got this house listed? Or what do we expect from any agent or wholesaler that brings us a potential property?
2: We need, we have them give us as much information about the property as they can. Um, Also, the purchase price that that it would be selling for. Um, If they have an idea of the resale value, um, they would give us that information as well, which we kind of look into that in our own due diligence. But any property condition, if it's vacant or occupied, um, if it is being rented, how much it's being rented for, really as much information about the property as we can get so we can do our evaluation the way we need to.
0: Now, have we ever received a bunch of Properties from someone that we didn't know very much information about, what's that like
2: yes um it's a little it's almost too time consuming to you can kind of look at it at a, it makes you almost want to just look at it at a glance to see if the opportunity is there, but the more information we get, the more you want to work with the property or For work sure. with the person in general
0: and it's kind of it's almost a waste of time if someone's just sending you offers on them we may as well make them ourselves right I mean it just just that's what thing. you end up doing
2: anyways. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. So we require all this information from them. And we expect pretty much that the property is tied up by the time we get it. Right. Or, you know, that's an agent that has a listing, and they can give us a bunch of information that, that we need to help us buy that house. But you can take a lot of time making offers yourself, right? I mean, so they need to do all that due diligence and that can work.
2: Right.
0: Now, not only that, but most of our wholesalers and agents, they know exactly what we're looking for, right? Right. So usually when they bring it to us, it's like, here you go, ready to go. Is that easy to teach someone that?
2: No. It, yeah,
0: no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> but we just do it, right? And, right? and those who are willing to learn and go with it and take the feedback, does it pay off? It does. Yeah, so it might take a long time. But then you've got agents and wholesalers that are bringing you multiple deals per month. I mean, right. if you can even get, you know, three people to bring you one deal a month, that's fantastic. But if you have multiple people bringing multiple deals per month, okay, you know, the check, I mean, that takes care of your entire deal flow, which is a huge part of this business, right? Yeah. Huge. Okay, so you manage that. You know, we've trained them. We've set up the systems together. You know what I'm looking for. Right. When, do you ever contact me for these houses or how do you go about it? How, how do we go about that? When you get contacted with a potential uh, deal,
2: depends on the scale of the actual project. If it's like the bread and butter properties, I kind of know what to offer on those um, and what we're looking for. Of course, on the as you get into the larger scale of the project and the you know more higher end you go, even the mid grade ones. I, if I send you a property, I give you pretty much the full explanation and pretty much the answer, just so you can kind of see what I'd buy the property. what we should buy. The- Property for, and then you kind of give your input if needed, or you, you say, sounds good, kind of thing, if you agree.
0: Now, did you just start doing that on your own, giving that all that information, or how did that happen? No. <laughs> <laughs> Call out.
2: <laughs> so, I, <laughs> that's the thing. Well, yeah. So, in the beginning, I would send you all the properties as they would come to me. But that's also one thing, too, that you've kind of always taught me is you like when I even come with you with issues or a property or anything, you like the solution in place. And that also is how you trained me to be able to evaluate a property on my own eventually.
0: Okay. So you hit on a very key point. I always want you to come to me with what instead of what?
2: A solution. A solution,
0: right? What (laughs) do I say to you? Even to this day, it doesn't happen very much anymore. I think you've gotten really (laughs) good. But even to this day, if you ask me a question, or you you won't even like phrase as a question, but sometimes you'll say something. What do I say back to you?
2: What do you think we should do?
0: Always. Or sometimes I'll tease you. I'll be like, um, that sounds like a question. Is that a question? Are you giving me an answer? Right? (laughs) Yeah. And am I usually okay with your solution?
2: Yes. Most of the time.
0: Most of the time. And if not, I'll give you feedback. But it's so interesting. I mean, the thing is, you usually know the answer, right? Yeah. And you know, you know the answer, but you just will question, ask me, right? Because it's big decisions. So I always, always have you come with me to me with the solution, instead of just the question. And you can come with me with a solution, but with feedback, you know, do you have any feedback or, or whatever? And you I'll say, sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. And a lot of the times there's sometimes it's 50, 50, right? It can go either way. So right. it's more of just making a decision and I've hired you and pay you to make decisions, you know, that are within the guidance of what we've set up as a company. Right. Um, and I've hired you, you know, Mike, what is, you know, you recently met with Mike Cantu, someone who we really respect. And talk about taking it to the next level instead of me going and having din- you know, lunch with Mike and, you know, thanking him for, you know, the last deal that he brought us. What did we do this last time?
2: You had me go, actually, and have lunch with him.
0: And what, how was that, what was that like?
2: It was really great meeting, actually. Um, we went to the sushi restaurant that he likes to go to. And I'd say we were there like an hour and a half to two hours, and we just had really great conversation about where he is with you know where he's at with his company and where we are with ours. We talked about goals, and you know he was even saying how we even kind of inspire him in some aspects because of the relationship and the work ethics that we have as far as what I do as an assistant.
0: Yeah, I love that. So that's that's a huge. I'm just flattered, really, because I really look up to Mike. He's one of my Heroes. So, um, one of the first people I started learning from when I came down here uh, to Southern California. So, but what I think is cool. I mean, you know, I had my assistant. You know, wh- what do we call you? What's your? Uh, we have a bunch of titles for you. What's what's your favorite title <laughs> as of late?
2: Um, was it director of operations? <laughs> yeah,
0: di- director of operations. But I mean, I had you go to that meeting, and I wanted you to develop that further relationship, you know, with Mike. Uh, so he knows that he can continue to work with you, and I think you know he really appreciated that. I think that thought that was pretty cool. So just once again, shows, you know, there's no limits to what a lot of times people don't understand. How can you trust like an assistant to make all these decisions for you? I mean, I kind of see you and you know, this as almost as a partner in a way. I mean, you know, I'm still, it's my company, I make the final calls, but you gotta, I don't know of any business where you can run an effective business without trusting people and counting on people. And Like you said, on some of those bigger houses and those bigger decisions, you're not just going out and buying million dollar houses without me approving them, right? I mean, right. Okay, so back to our deal flow. (coughs) Excuse me, man, all kinds of hacking up going Mm -hmm. on here. So let's get back to that. So you get these deals. Mm -hmm. You go through them. Most of the people who bring us deals, they know what we're looking for. So, you know, when some people, call we know oh we're going to buy a house right i mean yeah like 90% of the time yeah but you'll just kind of double check those numbers actually with one of our agents i don't even think you have to double check the numbers or to the point with him where he just knows the values he knows what we're looking for inside and out he knows so right. it's like just ready to go right yeah so with with these other guys you basically you double check their comps right just to make sure that it looks right the the numbers look good right right and then if it looks good on paper, we usually will put it under contract, right? We'll say, yeah, we'll take it, correct? Right. yeah. And we have an inspection period, right? right. You talk, you talk. I'm talking too much. So what do we <laughs> do from there? Come on.
2: So that's right. We have the inspection period. So we'll send our contractor out to the property um, to do a walkthrough and just give us, because we kind of evaluate repairs up front. Based off square footage, the year built of the home. So we have a pretty good idea. Um, and the information foot. they okay. give it. You
0: know, a lot of times the wholesaler will tell us what they think too. And so if we right. trust them, that gives us a pretty good idea as well. So go ahead. Yeah.
2: So then we just have the contract to go and kind of reconfirm that the, that's the cost of repair. Um, If it's a property that we're kind of evaluating, sometimes we'll drive comps in the area as well, depending on the size of the project as well, especially the bigger projects, we drive comps to make sure we understand that the resale value is there. Um, On some of the smaller ones, of course, the agent that we work with, he already knows the values on those are pretty much good to go. And when Uh, we say
0: smaller, we're talking more about price point, not necessarily size of the house, right?
2: Right. Yeah. I'd say like 150 and below.
0: Yeah, there's Yeah. There's, I guess, different ranges, right? There's like... Low, mid and high.
2: <laughs> and it depends on area too, actually. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So,
2: um, and then we buy the property. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I know, see, look, we've both been doing this a long time. So other people say we buy the pro- Like, Who manages the funds? Who takes care of the funds? Do I do all that? Or do you do that?
2: Yeah, there's a whole section I just missed. I, yeah, totally. Yeah, we buy the property. <laughs> so that's and that's where we kind of have like our little checklist of all the items that happen with inside that process. So you have like your inspection period. We know that that confirms that we're going to be buying the property. Then we need to line up financing. So I know the certain lenders that we have that we work with, um, and I line up the financing that we're going to do for the property. And then...
0: How do you determine that? I mean, you don't have to name specific lenders, but we use... Different kinds of lending, right? Different kinds of financing.
2: Right. So we have like private money and then we have our hard money lenders. Well, actually some of the private money lenders that we work with that we um, keep their funds working on a regular basis. If there's a property that's already, that's going to be closing and we need to transfer their funds to another new property that we're going to be buying, I kind of look at that. As well. So once that property closes, if the new property we're buying kind of falls in the same line, then we do that, that transfer or um, we send them, then we start sending them to the different lenders that we, we work with priority.
0: Do we ever let our private money lenders' money not be in use?
2: No, it's always being used. How do we actually. do that?
0: How is that possible? And well, why, why would we want to do that?
2: Well, that's kind of how you keep the capital circulating in order to keep doing a lot of what we do do. And
0: um, now we do that. So they don't go invest their money somewhere else. Right.
2: Right. And we're able to do that based off of the volume of properties that we are able to obtain because really just when they have a property that's closing, we seem to always have a property that's available or we have something that we already own free and clear that we can transfer it to once that property closes. So we kind of create that in our system to make sure that we always have the option available for them.
0: And it's kind of how I mean, kind of how you mentioned, we have hard money lenders we can use. But it's like, hey, if I've got a private money lender that has a couple hundred thousand that he needs to put a, his money on, because his house is going to close, then I'll slap that on there. And I don't need to use the hard money. Right? Right. Okay, so go ahead and keep, keep going. So the financing, how do you figure that out? We've got a house, you said, Okay, we'll take it. Are we worried about the financing before we say we'll take the house? No, like never. Huh? We don't ever no. be like, Oh, wait, let me see if I have the financing. we. And part of that is because we've done a lot of deals and so we have some of our own cash reserves on hand and we have relationships with money lenders um actually we were a few months a couple months ago we started buying so many houses that what happened it was like the first time in a long time you're like oh we're kind of low on funds and what did, right. what did i do
2: so you, you had you went and raised more capital and found <laughs> investors <laughs> very quickly actually
0: but <laughs> then yeah within like two to three hours i called several people And, you know, they didn't all commit that same day, but over time they, uh, you know, I think like a quarter of a million dollars that we raised. Right. Right. And, you know, that in and of itself may not be a ton, but that leveraged with hard money, which hard money will give you, you know, 80, what is it? 85% of your purchase price or like 80% of your purchase price. Um, you know, that can really help you buy several more houses. So, uh, and then recently, what did I have you do? It was pretty funny. I think you said, didn't you say, hey, we need like 100000 for a certain house or something like that? Yeah. And what did I do? is something we've never done, but what did I tell you to do?
2: Um. What did we do?
0: I said, okay, go find it.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. It was funny because I did.
0: I know you <laughs> did. <laughs> but I just had you email some of our current contacts. Right. That, that and... you already
2: had in place. But yeah. it was the first time you really actually had me contact them directly like that.
0: Um, and that front. shows a lot of... Trust that even our private moneylenders now have in you, and that's another gap that I've we've worked on bridging. You know, it's like I'll make that first connection, but then I say, oh, "Hey, this is Vanessa. You know, she's awesome, <laughs> and you know she's going to help with the paperwork and this and that." And then over time, they learn to get to know you and they trust you to the point to where well, this last deal, you know, you had them send a hundred thousand dollars, and never even talked to them about it. And that's pretty amazing. You put together the paperwork took care of all the recordings. You know, you worked with my mom to do some of that, right? But um, that's pretty awesome. So, okay. So we have the deal comes in. Let's talk about the financing a little bit more. I just want to make sure this is kind of, we fill this gap here. So what do you typically do? You got a deal and you got to find financing. What's, what are the first things you do?
2: So I, you know, if I'm going to send it to one of our hard money lenders or whatnot, I put all the deal information together and send it to them in an email. They usually get back to me within 24 hours, majority of the time.
0: What kind of information do they usually want from you?
2: So I give them the purchase price, the cost of repairs, and then what the resale is going to be, and then what we would be doing to the project. If it's just a standard rehab, if it's more of an extensive remodel, adding script footage or higher end.
0: Okay. And then they get back to you, you said within 24 hours, keep going.
2: They get back to me within 24 hours. And then... And what do they let you know when they get back to you? They send me their terms as you know, what the interest rate's going to be, how many points it's going to be, and the length of the, the
0: loan. Which we usually know ahead of time because we've pre-arranged right. you know, these things. And they also tell you how much they're going to, what's the most important? How purchase, much they're going to cover of the loan. How much they're going to lend, which like you said is typically about 80% of the purchase right. price. Unless it's a big project, sometimes we'll do what's called a holdback, right? Do you want to explain a holdback?
2: So the holdback, it goes towards the rehab cost of the project. Um, so even when we do get the holdback, they, they, we do still have them cover 80% of the purchase price. And then there's the amount of the, the rehab cost as well.
0: And when do we get the rehab? When do we get that money? Usually
2: happens. They're set up a couple different ways. Um, some are throughout sections of the rehab process, and then they'll give you deposits as you complete certain, um, sections of the, the process. And then some actually do the, the cost at the end of the rehab once the rehab's completed. completed. Okay. So like some of them will do like 50% completion and then another deposit at
0: 100%. Okay, perfect. Okay, so you, we get the deal, you make sure it's a good deal. We have the contractor go look at it, do the inspections, looks good. You're lining up financing at the same time because we usually know we're gonna buy it anyway, um, unless something crazy comes up. Right. And so what happens from there? I mean, How do we close on that transaction? How does the money get there? Who manages the closing escrow? You know, you have like Jessica, does she go and do utilities and all that? What, what happens? Let's go.
2: So, well, once we confirm that that's the, the, you know, this is the financing we're going to do, um, I've been, me and Jessica have been working together on the the escrow process. She's been kind of getting more and more involved where I'm eventually going to be able to let go of, uh, the managing of the actual like paperwork and where we are with all the documents and everything. But, um, right now we're kind of doing it together. And then they send out the loan documents. And then I work with your mom, actually, when it comes to getting the loan documents together and sent out and stuff like that. So they usually send that. Um, We take care of all the escrow documents that are needed. And then usually a lot of the lenders that we work with, um, they can fund a transaction and we can take care of all the loan documents within like two to three business days once we confirm that this is what we're going to do. Um, and then we just kind of let everyone know what the projected close of escrow date is and we set everything up. So we're ready to all fund at that time.
0: Perfect. So then when it's time to fund, uh, our lenders, you know, we have the private money lenders money already because we're transitioning it from one house to the other, but the hard money lenders, they just send their funds straight to escrow. Correct.
2: Right. We have the portion of the funds that we pay towards the purchase price, which we have that first, and then they fund the rest after that. And then we close within that same day.
0: That's the goal. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, so now we own the property. Now what? Okay. Now so we now bought. Now we bought the property. So you wanted to skip all of that.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, well,
0: just so, so easy, right? So easy. You just got it down.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so now we own the property, and
0: remember that you, thing you made? You, we own it. Remember, you made a little chart. Oh, yeah. We this own part of it.
2: The streamline process. Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay, <laughs> we own it now.
2: Yeah. Um, so, cause once you do own it, you kind of have a little checklist of items of what you need to do to get it going. So whoever's responsibility it is to take care of those items, you know, once we purchase this property, say, for example, Jessica knows that if it's vacant, she needs to get utilities on right away. She needs to get the insurance started and she needs to do those basic things. I know that I need to get the contractor set up on the job, which I already pretty much have him scheduled before we close. And then you get the rehab process started. Now, if the property is occupied, then you kind of need to come up with your game plan, whether you're working with an agent or we're doing it on our own. Uh, If we're going to do cash for keys or do a 60-day notice, depending on the tenant situation or the occupant situation, you kind of make that decision right there as well. And then you kind of mark your calendar with where you're at. So if you know the occupant's going to be moving out at a certain time, you mark when they're supposed to be going out. So you have it in your schedule for that to be taken care of. Um, if you're starting the rehab process, I put that in my calendar as far as this is the date we're starting. This is the date we're supposed to finish. So, you know, every day when I actually go through all my spreadsheets, I go through each section of our process and make sure each, you know, purchase escrows are being be, be taken care of here. The rehab process is being taken care of here. Are there any due dates coming up? Are occupants supposed to be moving out and, you know, within the next couple of days, it's like I, I streamline myself for each, Section um, based off of scheduling it like that.
0: Okay, great. and using my spreadsheet. Now, you mentioned at the beginning. You mentioned you know Jessica starts with the utilities and the insurance. Do you have to call her and tell her to do all these things every time we close on a property? No, she just, she now she knows, just knows, to, knows right? she does
2: it automatically, and that's part of the streamline that you create and. You know, so you have a checklist for each process. You go from we own it to what you do in the rehab and what you do once the rehab's completed. So once rehab's completed, she actually already knows to get the picture scheduled. Um, if, you know, if we, we put appliances in some of our properties depending on the scale of the project. Some of them we don't. But, you know, certain things like that. And you just keep going down the line. Once we get the property listed, these are the checklist items that you need to do. Once you put the property in escrow, these are the checklist items that you need to do. And we each have our own checklist of responsibility in each of those processes. And so we know once that happens, we don't need to tell anybody to do it. We already know that we need to do it.
0: Love it. Man, you got a good system going down down there. (laughs) You must work for a pretty good company, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool.
1: Okay, so... I know the first thing you're thinking is, whose voice is this? And it doesn't sound anything like Justin. Uh, my name is Mark Moran. I help Justin out with House Slipping HQ. I'm sort of his tech web guy, plus I do some social media stuff. And uh, as Justin mentioned, he is not feeling too well, and he had to take a plane ride right after recording the episode to Idaho for his grandmother's funeral. So he asked me to help out a bit with this episode and uh, let you know that this is the end of part one of the episode. And this interview, again, a really long interview, we had to split it up into two parts. So today we're putting out part one. Um, and as Justin said, would say, uh, Vanessa really delivered the goods on this one. And to be honest, this is actually one of the interviewees I've been the most looking forward to hearing. So I'm really looking forward to hearing part two. I'm, I'm really curious how it goes. I haven't actually heard it yet, uh, but I want to see what happens. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, So part two is going to come up in just a couple days. Uh, Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Uh, I think this actually comes out on Wednesday, January 1st, which coincidentally is my birthday. So happy birthday to me, I guess. Uh, And Friday, January 3rd, 2014, will be part two of this episode. So be sure and check that out when it comes out. I'm looking forward to it. A few other small news items uh, before I let you go. Uh, Justin mentioned on the blog post on Monday that he uh, released that he's going to be starting up a uh, sort of a mastermind group of sorts. And first of all, it's really cool. I'm, I'm actually glad this is happening because we've been getting some requests for this sort of thing, this sort of help for people who want to learn how to do house flipping, how to do real estate investing, sort of the nuts and bolts of things. So it'll be starting up in February of 2014. And it's really about providing a way to help people learn about house flipping in a supportive environment, and, but more than just being supportive, to also bring in some accountability so that you're taking action. And you know, Justin is a big proponent of taking massive, massive action and really getting out there, making offers, doing the day-to-day work that you need to do to create a house flipping business. Um, in fact, you can just read the latest blog posts from Monday to see what I mean. That blog post is all about just putting in the time and effort required to get results. So um, it's really cool. Uh, if you want to know more about that, you can read the blog post. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes at houseflippinghq.com slash episode 16. Um, we also have a sign up for getting information about the mastermind group, um, houseflippinghq.com mastermind. And you can go there and sign up to get more information. We're still working out the details on how it's going to run and what we're going to do. But in the meantime, if you sign up there, you'll be first in line to get the goods when they're available. So be sure to do that. Also, just safe travels to Justin and his family. You know, it's really great that he's able to head out there and take care of family obligations like that. And I really think it's like one of the benefits of developing a business like this. It isn't just about, you know, having these crazy whale watching adventures. Okay, that's tongue in cheek. He's not really having whale watching adventures, but it's really about having the ability to spend time on the things that are the most important to you, like family. And so hopefully, as everyone's building up their house flipping businesses, that's something that we're all able to achieve at some point in the future. At least, that's the goal, right? So that's it for this episode, Uh, Friday, January 3rd, 2014. Vanessa will be here for part two, and it is going to be amazing. And as Justin always says, we'll see you on the flip side.